Hello, everyone. Welcome uh, back to the show. Thanks for being here. My name is Randall, and today we're talking to Dr. Michael Rechtenwald. He's the author of 11 books, both fiction and nonfiction. He's a professor of liberal studies and global liberal studies at NYU, and he has taught at Duke University, North Carolina Central University, Carnegie Mellon University, and Case Western Reserve University. His scholarly and academic essays will soon be erased from the various publications they have appeared in because his name will become un searchable because it continues to kick the hornet's nest. He holds a PhD in literary and cultural studies, a master's in English literature and a BA in English literature. He's here to get me further shadow banned from YouTube and blacklisted. Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Um, do you know what the rules are with vaping in Australia? Because I know you just asked me if you wanted to vape on the air. Have you heard yeah, I understand that it's it's uh, you can't really advertise it, and uh, is it illegal altogether? It's it's illegal to vape nicotine. You can vape flavors, but now they're making it. It's always been illegal, but they haven't enforced it. But now it's like going to be illegal totally. You can't import it from New Zealand, which is what people do. And uh, if you have a vape store, it's like it's basically like you're walking past an adult bookshop. It's all blacked out, and you, you don't know what it is unless you walk in. It's ridiculous. Um, yeah, that's outrageous. You know, I mean, just what what kind of a law is that? I mean, how is that supposed to help anybody? Yeah, it's for your uh, health and safety, apparently. Mm -hmm. Like uh, like everything these days. So why don't you tell us what's um what's been going on in your world for the past? 18 months since uh, all this craziness began. How have you been? Well, curiously, I started out in uh, L.A. during the beginning of this pandemic, so-called. And, uh, you know, I remember the first couple of weeks I tried to go play tennis outside and was almost arrested. And uh, then I got back and drove across the country and came back to the East Coast and uh, started writing a book because uh, I saw uh, so many things that struck me as uh, tending towards totalitarianism. Uh, and uh, I wanted to, uh, instead of, you know, getting into the fray uh, of uh, all the questions about the virus and the vaccine, the coming, then coming vaccine, I thought I'd make it a fictional story. So I wrote uh, a novel uh, starting in April uh, and finished it in uh, August, I guess. And uh, it's called Thought Criminal, Thought Criminal. And uh, I just kept uh, working on that and uh, trying to ignore the craziness going on outside because it was just, uh, uh, well, well, it was like a deserted uh, landscape, really, uh, for the most part. And... Uh, uh, the hysteria and the uh, the also the 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 kind of credulity that people had towards what was being purveyed to them by the media and everything it was really driving me crazy. Uh, so uh, since then, I've just been writing and uh, doing a, doing some speaking engagements. Things since things opened up and. Uh, yeah, that's baby. Then I started a, an online uh, school, but that's basically it. Do you think that? Um, I, I mean, well, maybe we should backtrack a little bit. So, uh, because you started out as a hardcore Marxist, that's correct, right? Do you, yeah. I, I want to get into that story a little bit, and then how you came came. I guess came out on Twitter yeah. as not that. Um, but do you think you would have been going crazy if you still had that ideology and? the pandemic happens, do you think your mindset would be the same? It might have been harder because uh, uh, I've always been somewhat skeptical about authority, especially media and uh, the state. And uh, to see these, what it would have been my comrades uh, <laughs> yeah, right. buying, buying into everything so, uh, so uh, credulously, I would have probably suffered some serious cognitive dissonance, you know. Um, so if I hadn't left it earlier, I probably would have left it during that time uh, because uh, I just can't believe the way the left has bought into everything, including like big pharma 
and uh, the mainstream media narrative and uh, just the whole nine yards. In fact, how they, uh, how they basically are the foot soldiers of the oligarchy and the state at this point. Uh, so it really, what drives me crazy is just how the left became these um, conformists uh, of the uh, of the utmost degree. I mean, they're they're the total conformists. Uh, they're they're nothing oppositional at all at this point. They're actually like the uh, well, it is as if we've already had a revolution, and now they're the enforcers. So I think we have we have been undergoing a revolution, and uh, now that they are in power, they're of course behind the establishment. So that's what I think has happened, really. Uh, they're, effect they're effectively like the Red Guards under Mao. Uh, they're enforcing the dictatorship at this point. Yeah. And you know, so how did you, I, I mean, you just said that you probably would have broken out of it during the pandemic, but how did yeah. you initially come out of that ideology and that way of thinking? Uh, well, what happened was, uh, I guess... You could say the left basically uh, did it to me. Uh, they they effectively uh, they 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 came at me with such uh, vehemence and uh, such uh, outrageous uh, mob. Uh, I got mobbed really badly uh, by the mm. left. And uh, mm. so what happened was they just basically showed me what their character was like what what was the real character of leftism and marxism uh i guess i was somewhat um theoretical about it and uh once i saw like the way people these people were and the way they actually behave uh i started i said i wanted nothing further to do with the left at all and then I started to read about it, uh, the left's criminality, the left political criminality over over time, historically. And uh, then I started to conclude that contrary to the popular conception or the received notion that it's the right wing that is this abominable uh, element in society, that the left's crimes are unparalleled in history. Uh, that it is the most po criminal political contingent that's ever existed, and um, that really, <laughs> and that really came home to me. I mean, I started reading uh, a lot of history about the Soviet Union, uh, about China, but mostly the Soviet Union and the Eastern Bloc in general, and uh, that really came home to me that the left's criminality was really unparalleled, and it's amazing how it's disappeared. I mean, they disappear this history from from academic uh, scholarship entirely. I mean, I tried to find things like uh, studies of like auto critique and uh, 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 auto critique and uh, struggle sessions, for example, in academic literature, and there's nothing. Mm. You know, what happened during the, the Cultural Revolution from uh, 66 to 76 in China, there's no academic research on it. So I started noticing that, you know, they've disappeared the historical crimes of the left in, in academia and, uh, and largely from the culture at large. You know, I mean, we don't learn students here. I don't know about there. They don't learn about the Soviet Union's criminality. They learn about Nazism, of course. They learn about Hitler, but they never learn about Stalin or Mao anything yeah. and then it continues all the way through graduate school and there's never any investigation and so they're teaching marxism un unapologetically in universities all across the country here probably across the world without ever discussing the kind of uh criminality that the left has uh, engaged in and uh now i'm reading a very interesting book called political ponerology which Ponerology derives from the Greek word uh, poneros, which means evil. And this is the scientific study of political macrosocial evil, mostly focused on the left appropriately. And uh, it's, uh, it's quite, quite an insightful book. It's, uh, uh, 
it's a, it goes into the pathological nature of, of this, uh, of, of totalitarianism. Like basically there's psychopathic content in the leadership and it then is disseminated out to the public and they basically become contaminated with this psychopathic, uh, content. And, and then they start acting, uh, according to it, you know, there's a good, 33% of the population, this, this is basically this, this uh, study suggests that this can be scientifically gauged. You'll get 6% of the population will become absolute uh, followers of uh, what he calls pathocracy or a rule, rule by illness, really. And what he means by illness is mental illness. Uh, and then you'll have like 33% uh, of the population will go along with it. And then there's a small majority that, which he calls normal people in effect, who will not, uh, who will not abide by it. You know, that, that they'll, they'll see the abnormal, uh, bizarre and pathological character of what they're dealing with and they'll oppose it. And I think that's exactly what we're undergoing right now. Uh, I think you have uh, 6% of the population who are basically psychopaths or uh, some other pathology. And then you have who are basically running the COVID regime. And then you have about 33% are good followers. You know, they, they basically buy into the pathological content without any circumspection or... Uh, analysis and then you have a small majority i think that we do have a small majority of people who are not in power who are basically normal who see the pathological totalitarian as, uh, fact about this covid regime and are just trying to a deal with all the propaganda and the and the double speak and uh, what he calls conversive uh conversive blockades that's when that's when the propagandists say the exact opposite of what is the truth um i see that i think that's happening that's that's got to be happening where you are i know it's happening here where the basically the political uh establishment and the media are effectively saying the opposite of the truth almost all the time and this leads people into what he calls conversive blockades where they get a, a good portion of the population instead of just recognizing as a total and absolute inversion of reality and a, a lie they think well there the the truth must be somewhere in the middle between this complete total lie and what appears to be the truth and they sort of average it out whereas there's a good uh, there's a good contingency of the population that says no this is just nonsense this is complete balderdash <laughs> the whole thing is a complete inversion of reality so i think this book and uh, things things like i've read like the black book of communism which gave me the history of the uh soviet union china and all these things have really us uh, you know i've been i've been reading this stuff now for years three four years here and i've just come to the conclusion that what we're dealing with is uh what we're dealing with is a right now what we're dealing with is a socialist kind of a kind of socialist revolution uh actually undertaken mostly by the elite uh not not from below not some sort of working class takeover of the means of production you know how they think mm -hmm. yeah. the leftists are like they're they're like they're like looking like they, they read out of a cookbook they, and they believe the instructions are really the only way things can happen no no this isn't socialism because it's not the, <laughs> it's not the working class taking over the means of production no shut the hell up it's never the working class taking over the means of production you ninny you know so uh, it's the elite that that do this mm. and they have good reasons for it. It, it 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 sounds crazy to a lot of people because you know these are corporations that are also part of this elite 
And why do they want socialism as, as such a kind of socialism? Because they're monopolists. They want to monopolize the economy. So they want to get rid of the free market. And this yeah. is all happening under COVID, is it not? I mean, how they're destroying middle-class, middling business enterprises and everything is being consolidated into Amazon and all these top producers and distributors and everybody else is going bankrupt. And the ESG scores, the environmental, social and governance scores on the stock market, which are forcing investments towards woke corporations and starving off the rest. All this is monopolization. And it leads to a kind of what I call socialism on the ground and monopoly on top with the state, of course, their, their inclusion with the state, naturally. Yeah, so um, there's a, a saying amongst right-wing people, and I'm not right-wing. Um, Neither am I. But, I'm a dissident. Yeah, to, to play devil's advocate, they'll say... Uh, get uh what is it get woke go broke right so i don't buy that to... that's a bad expression I didn't, I didn't think you did so tell me why not they're mistaken about that see they're thinking in terms of capitalism <laughs> but we're not dealing well, yeah. with capitalism. <laughs> we're dealing with socialists we're dealing with socialist monopolists or as uh the leftist philosopher Giorgio Agamben says, we're dealing with communistic capitalism. And that is to say, this is not about fair competition. These people are trying to monopolize the market. So they want to get rid of free enterprise. They're not having to compete for profits in a marketplace. They're getting rid of their competitors through wokeness. They're canceling them out of existence. That's how they do it. So this is all, uh, this is not go woke, go broke. It's go woke or, or go broke. That's yeah, okay. the real truth. Yeah. Yeah. This is why I'm not a right winger. I mean, or a conservative. And conservatives, the other thing I want to say about conservatives, they're too conservative to notice <laughs> what's happening. You see, yeah. they, they won't, they're so conservative that they're afraid to say, this is totalitarianism on, on the, in the making. They're too conservative to go out on a limb to actually understand reality. And uh, this drives me crazy about conservatives. They're, they're, they're scaredy cats, really. <laughs> you know? So. Yeah. The, the thing that um, I, I just find it funny when they, they try and battle leftists on capitalistic grounds, but then they don't even understand free market economics very well. They don't so, understand free market economics. Yeah. And, and in fact, they're just looking for a different kind of fix, like a different type of monopolization yeah. of their kind of corporations, you know, whereas they want a non-woke uh, monopolization. Yeah. So in that sense, they're not principled, you know, that's not a principled stand. And it's also stupid because it doesn't recognize what's really going on, you know. Mm. Um, you mentioned uh, that it was hard for you to find the papers on the atrocities of Marxism and progressivism. Uh, yeah. And I guess your book, the premise of, you know, the Google archipelago is that this is going to get much worse. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, Google archipelago is about how uh, like big, what I call big digital, that is uh, the major purveyors of digital media, uh, including Google, Facebook, Twitter, uh, the whole panoply of what I call uh, archipelagos in the Google archipelago. It's named after Google as it's just an emblem of the whole con constellation. Uh, and it also has a sort of resonance with Gulag. Uh, as some many people have pointed out, you know. Um, so the idea there was uh, this big corporate digital uh, monopoly cartel uh, is is the leading edge of what I'm talking about, which I call corporate socialism, and they are the main ideological uh, and uh, communications apparatuses for bringing this about. Uh, plus they're financially invested in it as monopolists also. They are monopolists who are trying to bring about this monopoly and they're the way to get 
They're the way to get approved into the monopolies cartel. They're the way in and the, the, they're the vetters. They vet the potential prospects for whether they're admissible to this cartel. That goes for media and that goes for companies of all kinds, you know, so they will delist you, they'll blacklist you, they'll downgrade you, they'll, they'll only put up like Google, for example, I'm talking about, they'll only put up information that's negative about you if you're not abiding by the cartel's ideology, which happens to be authoritarian leftism. Yeah. I mean, we just got a, um, rejected for monetization from YouTube. And they said there it was uh, harmful content, they said, although I've harmful, never Harmful, yeah, that. harmful. Yeah. Because it might make people have thoughts, yeah. uh, unapproved thoughts. Yeah. They might engage in thought crimes even. Yeah. Uh, so this is the point, you know, that's harmful to their, to their, cartels, monopolization, and the economy and the regime that's being set up. And I notice a lot of things like, for example, uh, their, their, their language and Facebook's language, uh, YouTube's language about hate speech and hate uh, content is always about uh, minorities. Uh, it's always about um, it's only it's framed only in terms of leftist ideology, but there's no there's no uh, not mention of, of, of like like class uh, hatred, for example, of socialists who who basically say without any apology and without any uh, uh, without any consequence, you know, like put them up against the wall and shoot them in the head, you know, when they're talking about people. That's fine because they're not talking about minorities. They're talking about certain classes. They don't have a problem with that at all. It's always framed in terms of this political ideology, this identity politic type thing. It's never framed in terms of, you know, like, and the interesting thing is there, the, the real hate, the real hate that's rampant today is that very hate. And that is the hate that, you know, has led to 100 million people plus being murdered more than any other uh, political ideology on, on the face of the earth. Uh, so, you know, four times that of Nazism, for example. And it's really questionable whether Nazism is right wing in the first place. But that's another question. I won't go there. I mean, it's in the name, right? <laughs> but anyway, we don't have to go there. Yeah, we don't um, have to go there. Too obvious. Yeah. It's quite, um, it's quite strange that they have this sort of intersectionality where you know, or some people call it the oppression Olympics. Yeah, um, but then they they throw that out the window if you just have a different opinion as well, and it doesn't actually matter if you you could be like a, a coloured woman, bisexual, transvestite, or whatever it is. And if you have, have, you know, wrong think or something, they'll they'll line you up against the wall with that. Oh, they'll line you up against the wall because really, what matters most is that you abide by and regurgitate the ideology in question. Doesn't Your identity is a ticket in, but you, if you violate the ideology, you're out. So that's the real litmus test. And this is why you see all the virtue signaling. Virtue signaling is basically admission, you know, so that you could get admitted into the main, in the main ideology and be accepted as a as a worthy, you know, um, adherent to this ideology. And, and this is why you see the, the vilification of uh, minorities who aren't abiding, you know, like Candace Owens and uh, the uh, head of uh, uh, the... Uh, Larry Elder. Yeah. Mm. Larry Elder, for example, as well. People like that. Yeah. There's another woman who's the head of the Heritage Foundation whose name escapes me, but she's another one. Basically, if you don't buy in, then you can be called like this lady was the head of the Heritage Foundation who's black, was called a white supremacist by Google's employees. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Insane. They, they, We're dealing with insanity. Yeah. They they called uh, Larry Elder the white face of no sorry the black face of white supremacy. 
The blackface of white supremacy, yeah. Yeah, it's it's just crazy. Um, I do want to ask you if you have any ideas of how, how we get out of this because it really does seem like we're stuck. Um, yeah, I think we are. Information more. I think it's, first of all, we have to recognize what we're dealing with. And this is what I think where the conservative elements are missing the point vastly. They think, oh, well, you know, uphold our constitution. Uh, no, no, what about our free rights? Uh, what about our freedom? Uh, they, they think that it's a matter of asserting the values that have been totally rejected and are completely being erased. Do you think these people are suddenly going to go, oh, yeah, we forgot about individual liberty? <laughs> We're dealing with totalitarianism. So the way, to, the way to address this is by looking at the historical precedents of how people resisted this in the history. So I say look to the Eastern Bloc and to the Russian dissidents, uh, the Soviet dissidents, those people. How did they overcome this? This is really where we have to look. And it's not exactly the same because this is global now. We're dealing with this globally. So there's no outside of the system now. There's nowhere else to go. There's no beacon of freedom anywhere. They're all gone. Uh, the United States, you know, for whatever flaws it's had historically and so forth, was for people, many people, this beacon of freedom where at least there, there was some place where you had an example of what things could be elsewhere. You didn't necessarily go there, but it was held up as an ideal. Well, that's gone. And uh, so what we have to do is look at what these people did to survive what we're going through, which is essential, and then finally subvert and overcome it. And uh, there's many different uh, approaches that I've been reading about. Uh, one of them is to, we have to build these parallel structures mm -hmm. uh, these kinds of uh, networks and communities of, uh, of all sanity uh, where we can go and speak to people who are not crazy and who are not bought into all the propaganda, who are not living the lie, as it were. Mm -hmm. And then these communities support each other and they grow in strength. We become much more versed in understanding the pathology that we're dealing with and we learn to find the, the weaknesses in it, in the people and in the, uh, you know, uh, in, in the system that's purveying it. And uh, basically it takes, it's gonna take years. Mm. It's, it's gonna take years. Now I would say, you know, these are all, but in the interim we build these networks. They're both social and even economic, of course. So in terms of economics, you know, I think that the parallel structures are, uh, the economic parallel structures are, of course, alternative currencies. And mm -hmm. uh, in that regard, um, I invest in Bitcoin. Uh, and I think that's, uh, at least we will be able to trade amongst ourselves. Mm. And if these stats that I'm talking about are right, there's, a good 51% of people that are not not lost, they're not uh, propagandized into insanity. So uh, they will accept your Bitcoin and vice versa. So, and uh, these, these parallel structures include educational structures, uh, which I'm working on building one myself uh, called American Scholars, and it's not off the ground, but they also include social structures. Um, support networks you know this podcast is uh, naturally part of that kind of uh that that kind of uh parallel structure media parallel media structures uh, and uh hopefully uncancelable ones in some sense uh mm -hmm. we have to build content that's not necessarily uh through uh, these main purveyors, of course, that's very difficult because of the network effect. Um, but the more we sort of move away from YouTube and Facebook and Twitter, and, and they're also Amazon web services, of course, uh, mm. the better we'll be. Uh, and this, we have the people. I mean, the thing is, 
if what the, what I'm reading is correct, with the the competence lies on our side, really, because they're promoting unqualified people all the time, and they're more and more unqualified as time goes on. They're they're not the smartest people. <laughs> they're actually sub sub they're subpar, frankly. Mm. Mm. So we got the smarter people. We have the technologists. We have the engineers. We have the we have all we have all the tools that we need to build a parallel structure. Uh, you know, some people talk about political secession. Uh, I I have a a great deal of skepticism about just a geographical fixes like that. First of all, totalitarian regimes they don't let you out. Yeah. They don't let you out. I mean, we're not allowed to leave Australia at the moment. <laughs> yeah, you're not allowed to leave. So yeah. I mean, they get locked out. So that's 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 the trend. Trendence, that's the tendency. That's the trend to make it impossible for us to physically move, mm. uh, and uh, to make less and less outposts available. So they're trying to narrow. They're they're tightening the noose. They're doing that here with the vaccine passports. I finally faced my first incidence of rejection or inadmissibility. I was uh, trying to go to my son. He's a uh, he's a singer songwriter. He had a performance mm. uh, on uh, Friday, I think it was, or Saturday. Or Friday. I couldn't go because they required the vaccine passport, mm. uh, and I, I wasn't about to go pay the guy fifty dollars and see if that worked. Uh, yeah. I just said, you know, fuck them, man. I'm not going. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. We 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 literally are facing that at the moment for basic essentials. So you know, if you don't get jabbed, you won't have freedoms that other people have. They're just dangling it in front of us, which is just insanity. It's insanity. Yeah, especially given uh, the fact that you know. Um, Recently, uh, the Rome Declaration was signed by 3,900 doctors and scientists. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this. Uh, Robert Malone and others mm -hmm. have signed a declaration about uh, the pandemic and uh, basically saying that none of the measures that have been taken have been about health at all. And in fact, the, uh, one of the most uh, uh, one of the most conspicuous statements they made was that, in fact, the whole COVID regime uh, may may constitute crimes against humanity. Um, and if anything, I'm looking at a video from Australia. If any of that is indicative of what's really happening, I see crimes against humanity happening there. Mm. And all the lockdowns are crimes against humanity. The masking of children, especially, is a crime against humanity. Um, the enforcement, uh, coercion into taking a vaccine that is still experimental, regardless of what they say, the FDA supposedly approved uh, Pfizer's uh, jab. But the thing is, that's not even in use yet. And they're still under using the emergency one. And also, there's no difference between the two. And there still haven't been studies, uh, mm -hmm. certainly no long term studies, there hasn't been time for that. So this is, uh, you know, this is a crime against humanity. And uh, so we've got to recognize what we're dealing with first, and then really study about what the the ways people have de dealt with this kind of system in the past. Uh, mutatis mutandis, that is to say, all, all the changes uh, taken into consideration because while we're dealing with something global and the pretense of this is health, which is non, you know, which is an unusual pretense for undertaking totalitarianism, uh, but it's a good one in terms of how it works. For their sake you know because it's really hard you have to first refute the science the science then you yeah. have to, you have to show that the measures that they have uh demanded are actually incommensurate with the threat you have to be get versed in all this stuff and that makes it very difficult to fight and they're they're hiding their ideology under science which is very tricky you know Science being the most, you know, master 
discourse of ver uh, veridical uh, claims. That's uh, science has this authority, you know. So they're using the science, this authority, uh, as a way to mask their ideological and uh, propagandistic and uh, legalistic uh, attempts to impose a totalitarian system on us. Hmm. Yeah, because if you're attacking Dr. Fauci, you're attacking science. Yeah. Is the famous quote. Yeah, meanwhile, you're attacking a charlatan of the first order, but you have to prove that, you know. And that takes a lot of thinking. And, you know, I noticed that when I get into arguments with leftists on this, they don't know anything. They haven't read anything. <laughs> they don't know a thing. They're absolutely clueless. They have no idea what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was in... Heard I was in a um, Telegram group randomly, and a whole bunch of like um, socialists joined joined the voice chat or whatever, and tried to convince everyone that this is the way to go. And I just simply asked, I said, "How do prices work in a socialist economy?" And it was just crickets. And yeah. there's no answer. And it's like you haven't thought about this. <laughs> like, no, they haven't thought about anything. See, I was a Marxist, and I can tell you what what happens. You don't really engage in thought. First of all, what you have to do is kind of memorize. It's like it's like memorization. First of all, you have to memorize the right sound bites mm. and statements. Then everything that comes to you, you have to process in terms of this particular standpoint. So then you're trained. Well, what do we say about abortion? <laughs> uh, what, do, what do we say about uh, you know? They basically tell you the what to think about every particular idea uh, point. So mm -hmm. you just learn the right routine with reference to all these things. You're not allowed to think. You're not, you don't need to because they're, 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 these views are already pre-digested, you know. You, you get this uh, PAP. It's already been, it's like getting uh, baby food, basically. You've all, mm -hmm. it's pre-digested ideas and you just have to download it in effect. Yeah. Yeah, it's like watching young people use a computer and they don't actually know the functionality of anything. It's right. Prepackaged, and if right. anything went wrong, they wouldn't know what to, where to start. You know. Yeah, that's really think... surprising too because they're supposedly so much better with technology. Yet when I taught in uni at university, I would say, you know, uh, have you ever looked at uh, the XML underneath of the hood? They didn't even know what I was talking about. <laughs> they didn't even know there was such a thing. Yeah. They don't know yeah, there's yeah. code underneath this. Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's just interface upon interface. Yeah, they don't know anything. So yeah. uh, the left doesn't know anything about the pandemic, <laughs> the so-called pandemic. They, they have, they've never heard of like the Israeli study. You know, they've never heard about the, the data coming out of Israel that 80 to 85 to 90% of the hospitalized people are actually double vaccinated. They don't know shit. I mean, they're yeah. clueless. Um, you, you heard the Israeli official on the hot mic saying that vaccine passports have nothing to do with health. It's just coercion. Yes. And it's yes. just like, right. Like that, that should be enough for people, right? It but should be, but they, they think, oh, oh, well, that's a, that's, that's a noble lie he's telling so that, you know, people will do what's good for them. But then they're basically admitting that it's not good for them at all. There's no health benefit to derive from it. So how is that good for them? What is yeah. it good for exactly? Yeah, it's stunning. So Bill Maher came out on one of the um, talk shows. That's his name, right, Bill? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't watch him. Yeah, but, Bill um, Maher, yeah. He's... He, he, he came out and he's he's quite blue and he is annoyed that people aren't show, showing up to his live shows and they're not showing up in blue states. And then they released this data that said that, you know, blue voters, Democratic uh, Democrat Party voters, say that if you ask them what's the likelihood that if you had COVID, you will go to hospital for it? And they said, oh, it's over 50%. Yeah, I saw that. Bill Maher is an interesting example. He's basically ingested about three quarters of a red pill and he's choking on the last quarter. <laughs> uh, and uh, if he That's could good. just get the last quarter down, he might yeah. come fully out of this, you know. He's close. Yeah. He's close. Yeah. 
but he's not quite there because he still has this adhesion to the Democratic Party and a hatred for Republicans. And I mean, I don't have a hatred for Republicans. I think they're missing a lot of things, a lot mm -hmm. of things, but they're they're mostly right about liberty and things like that, you know, at least in yeah. the current context. So, I mean, whether they would become uh, authoritarians once they got back in power, it's hard to say. Uh, they were authoritarians, but never this bad because they didn't own everything. They didn't own the culture industries. Mm -hmm. They didn't own the big tech. They, there was no meat, uh, internet then in, in the 80s when the moral majority took over the United, you know, part of the government of the United States. But they never had the hegemony that the left has. Mm -hmm. They never had the power to create a totalitarian system. Yeah. Do you think that uh, eventually the the left will eat their own, or do you think it's much more complicated than that? I said this in uh, at the end of one of my Mises talks. I said this was spontaneous. I said the, the problem is the left the left eats its own, but not fast enough. Uh, <laughs> that is that is to say, they're producing them faster than they're eating them. Okay. You know, the ideological propagation happens at a rate faster than the eating part. Yeah. So they don't run out of cohorts that way. Yeah. Thomas Massey had a good solution. He introduced the bill that had one line in it. I don't know if you saw this. And the one line of the bill was abolish the Department of Education. And that, was that would it. be good. Yeah. The Department I mean, of Education, the, the school system is, of course, the factory for making these uh, subjects. You know, it's it's a factory for producing indoctrinated uh, idiots. And uh, th there's no value in it at all. In fact, it's a negative value. Um, yeah. Very negative. Um, so if anyone in the comments has a specific question, now's your time to ask. But while while they get typing, um, I did say we're going to talk about Thought Criminal and then we just went on a few different tangents. Do you want to just give us the plot? And I'm, I'm taking it you're not going to you're not going to jump on uh, Elon Musk's Neuralink anytime soon. I'm not going to jump on his Neuralink, but there is a kind of technology in Thought Criminal. Uh, first of all, there's there's a virus. And there's a vaccine, but the virus is not biological. It is uh, consists of, and this is not, of course, being told by the state. They're, the state is maintaining that there's a real virus and a real vaccine, but really the virus consists of nanobots, um, and they attach themselves to the to the uh, neurons in the neocortex, and then allow. Uh, they have like uh, they're like uh, gated uh, gated uh, receptacles that receive and then send signals back to collective mind, which is the uh, centralized database and processing system of the state. Uh, and the state is called Pandemos, and uh, and <laughs> Pandemos, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the other good thing, just just put a pit in the 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 other really funny line was um, trans U universe. Oh yeah, I was I was like, did he do that? And then I realized more through your writing how much of a piss take you were taking. It was so funny. But yeah, sorry, <laughs> con continue. I just had to say that it was really funny. Yeah, yeah. Trans U. There's a university called Transhuman University, which is they call it Trans U for short. Uh, <laughs> And uh, yeah, that's a play, of course, on all the transgenderism and all that, the transgender ideology, but also transhumanism, which, of course, I think is, uh, they're connected, of course, I think. Um, and uh, yeah, this is where this professor had, had been, a, he'd been a professor at Transhuman University, but when he confessed his ideas about the virus and the and something about the vaccine. He wasn't quite sure about the vaccine, what it did to a graduate student. Uh, she she outed, you know, she she narked on him, uh, and he lost his job and then became a thought criminal. Uh, they called thought deviationists actually. Mm -hmm. uh, thought deviationists were then cut off from uh, normal life. Uh, 
and uh, generally take into uh, essential data to be reprogrammed in effect by virtue of uh, inducing the virus on them intentionally. Uh, they tell you that they're bringing you in in order to, uh, in order to uh, remove the virus from your system, but they actually induce it. So it is a conversive uh, blockade, the exact opposite of the truth. Uh, mm. So there's a lot of that going on. And the, the whole plot consists of this group of thought, a network of thought deviationists. So this is a parallel structure, a network of thought deviationists who are attempting to stay virus free and are trying to figure out just like we are, how to overtake this system. What did, whether to create and just try to live within a parallel structure or over or topple it somehow. And I won't give away the ending. Yeah. One, one of the parts, uh, I think it's quite early on that I just I had to put it down because it was way too close to home, was when um, I think a, a police robot comes and interrupts them while they're on the beach, like with no one around them <laughs> on the sand. And he's like, right. get off the beach. And I was just they're like, robot dogs, actually. robot dogs, actually. Robot dogs, yeah. Yeah, they I was like, on. this is way too real. <laughs> they come onto the beach and say, uh, you are not allowed, you are now permitted <laughs> by order of the uh, region of California, you are not permitted to sit on dry sand. Uh, and that, see, the law is you're allowed, to, you're allowed to be on wet sand, but you're not allowed to be on dry sand. The problem is yeah. you can't get to the wet sand unless you go through the <laughs> <laughs> oh my god oh, it's so way I too just true. had some fun with that and I you know it's some some people say that doesn't sound like fiction at all but what it is it's kind of a metaphor for what's happening you know yeah so the virus connects you to this collective mind which then in, basically supplies thoughts and also reads your thoughts to make sure none of them are deviationists and so, in effect, isn't that what the virus is doing here in this case? It is making people, uh, connecting them to a collective consciousness, a collective mind, supplying the kind of thoughts they're supposed to have and eradicating other kinds of thoughts. Uh, it, it's really interesting because one of the things that I've found is that if people have had the jab or the double jab, that adds another layer of resistance to any sort of communication or dialogue about the pandemic oh, yeah. because they've already injected something into their body. You can't talk to them about they're yeah. they're immunized against thought now. <laughs> yeah. Right? I think so. yeah. Yeah. All right. So we've got a question. When did we let powerful corporations take over the schools, medical and government systems? Well, that, that's been underway for a long time, but uh, this is a, a kind of a new iteration of it uh, in which uh, there is a particular ideology that's uh, kind of a litmus test for being admitted to this corporate cartel and, uh, and uh, that it's leftist authoritarian. This began with... As I said in Google Archipelago, it began with big tech, as, as it were, or what I call big digital. Uh, the digital purveyors, uh, and uh, then it spread to other corporations, and uh, the wokeness became the official ideology of this, car, uh, this series of cartels. These are corporatists, you know. So we're dealing with fascism on top, in effect, and socialism on the ground. And, and I mean fascism here. I'm talking about economic fascism. That is this connection and collusion between the state and approved corporations. Uh, so it, it started a long time ago with what is called, you know, crony capitalism. But this is well beyond crony capitalism now. We're now into corporatism. Uh, corporatism is when uh, the state and the corporations basically say, these are the assigned functions of corporations, and these are the proved corporations that are part of that functionality. 
And, and that's where we are. And one of the main ways they're uh, re regulating this is through ESG scores, environmental, social, and governance scores on the stock market. So this is a way of making sure that the, the approved corporations are receiving capital and the others are being starved out of it. Someone said you you stole his book idea and half my comments for the past few years. So maybe you're the hive mind collection agent. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sorry about that. Uh, but I got there first. <laughs> no, um, the, the thing about writing is you got to write. Um, a lot of people... And I think, and this is no denigration of your commenter because I'm sure they can write, but I got friends or people you've always talked to, you know, I have the greatest book idea. I don't, the book ideas are like company ideas or, uh, mm. you know, inventions that never happen. They're about a dime a dozen, uh, if not cheaper. The thing is the writing, mm. <laughs> try writing it, not to your yeah. viewer, but writing is a pain is tough it's yeah. fucking hard okay yeah writing it is the hard part <laughs> yeah is is three months a typical time frame for you to finish a book that seems very quick oh, i'm a maniac i the thing is <laughs> three months for me are like six years for a lot of people because what i do is i write 12 to 15 hours a day every day without stopping whoa yeah, I, think I just write. Anyone who's done writing is thinking you're. Yeah, that. Yeah, you are. You correctly described yourself. Yeah, I'm a maniac. So when I get into that mode, I wrote uh, Google Archipelago in four months. I wrote Springtime for Snowflakes in six. Uh, I just and I wrote Thought Criminal in four months. Now it could have been slower, maybe. I mean, I think Thought Criminal could be improved. It could have been a better book. I could say that for all of my books. I'm never satisfied. I don't know how you found it. Did you think it worked? You read it, right? Talk oh, about. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I also enjoyed uh, in Google Archipelago when you went off onto um, narrative tangents. Oh, you I did? That was, yeah, I thought that was awesome. Oh, like, thank because you. It's pretty, it's pretty thick reading in terms of, you know, all the, the terms, the like specific terms that leftists use and stuff, and then to to take us out of that and then bring us back in. I thought that was well done, and I, you know, for your next nonfiction, you should definitely keep doing that. Um, oh, really? Okay. I, I, yeah, I mean, okay. I'm quite a like I love fictional writing, and I do a yeah. lot of writing myself. So maybe that's just me, but yeah, I there's just, a lot of there's a lot of readers. Not a lot. I got so I pay attention to you know the comments on Amazon and Goodreads and all that. So the criticism of Google Archipelago is typically. It's all over the place, um, and it's a it's a muddle, and or also, why can't this guy talk in normal language? Um, and <laughs> uh, because I'm not describing normal things, that's the problem. Yeah. Um, so it takes a certain lexicon in order to grasp these kind of things, you know. Mm. Uh, and then the the, the fictional interlude. Uh, Look, if you don't want to read it, just skip it, you know. But um, I thought it was it was fun. That was very fun. Yeah. Did you ever think, um, like, I'm curious, when you published Thought Criminal, did it ever cross your mind to use an alias or anything? Because No, like, I have no care. I, I don't care. I'm uncancelable okay. at this point, you know. So what are they going to cancel me from, myself? <laughs> I, mean, uh, I, I have absolutely no fear. Uh, of anything or any any kind of uh, consequence, I'm willing to be an open and avowed fighter against all this. Yeah, um, one of the YouTube channels that has popped up over the last, <clears throat> well, I found it a few months ago. Um, called Academy of Ideas. Mm. Um, it's really great, and he talks about um, in totalitarian regimes how ridicule plays a really Huge. good role. So, oh yeah. You want to talk on that a little bit? Yes, uh, political humor becomes a real means of, like, for the dissident to hone their thinking and and, and maintain their sanity uh, and to, of course, endure the system that they're under and to undermine it and to 
that in this very way, which is very epigrammatic, that is, it's very condensed into small little units of humor so that a huge, you'd have to take pages and pages to unpack what they're getting at with this humor. So it's mm. very epigrammatic, you know, it's aphoristic, if you will, as well. So yeah, this is a, a very important, there's whole books on this, on uh, political humor in the Soviet Union and the East, Eastern Bloc, uh, all kind of material has been written and uh, collections of the jokes as well have been, uh, have been undertaken. So yeah, it's a huge element uh, of importance. And he talks about that in political tonerology. I'll have to um, link that book in the description because that sounds pretty interesting. That's what I'm interested in because I try and ridicule our leaders as much as possible until I get yeah. locked up. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, this is just it. I mean, how else do you survive? Plus, it's a way to continually hone your, men your, your mental acuity with reference to what we're dealing with. You have mm. to keep refining and... and, 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 and struggling to keep your thinking free and clear of propaganda and free and clear of pathology, uh, which they're purveying through the propaganda. Yeah. Um, your internet's a little bit bad, but I don't know if that's my internet. Yeah. Um, oh, shit. Let me pause it. <laughs> uh, okay. Hopefully that may improve it. Um, there was a question. I've, I've just lost it. It was about that movie. Um, uh, what's it called? Uh, Ex, Ex Machina. Have you seen that movie? No, I have not. Oh, okay. I recommend it. Okay. Um, yeah, very, very interesting. Um, but, man, really cool to talk to you. Let me just uh, double check that there wasn't something that I was burning to ask because um, – there's so much in your writings and I, uh, I encourage everyone to, to pick up your books. There's links in the descriptions below. Um, so you can, uh, grab them, you can learn. Um, and like Michael was saying, we need to create these parallel structures and education is one of those really important things. Um, and if you don't read, well, <laughs> you know, it's, you're you, you, so well. Yeah, yeah, you, you're not you're not going to cope very well. But how can people uh, how can people find you? Well, everything is on michaelrechtenwald.com, and that's R E C T E N W A L D. Michaelrechtenwald.com, one word. All my books, all my uh, essays, uh, my uh, interviews, like the media here. Uh, this will go up there uh, on the on the interviews and media page. Uh, my uh, uh, my uh, I've run a thing called the Rectonwald Writing Reading and Writing Treehouse, which is a workshop, a writer's workshop, um, and uh, just basically photo uh, videos, uh, all kinds of stuff. Everything is on that MichaelRectonwald.com. Tell us just before you go, tell us about this writer's treehouse. I want to learn more. Oh, okay. It's a group of like-minded uh, critical thinkers who um, engage in each other's work. So we meet once a week and uh, we have uh, basically treat the writing of two, two tree members each week. And uh, we get feedback for our work. And uh, it's a really, it's a, it's a subversive group because we're really all thought criminals. And uh, so it's a way for thought criminals to convene. It's a parallel structure. It's yeah. one of these parallel structures. And then we help each other with our writing and uh, give feedback. And uh, you get a, you read a lot of great stuff because I got people re writing a really interesting material from different angles. And mm -hmm. so you get a lot of knowledge out of this, too. That's why I call it a writing, a reading and writing uh, treehouse. So climb on up, as I say. Yeah, nice. And uh, tomorrow, VI, uh, you should join that if you uh, want to write and not just have ideas. Sorry to single you out, but it sounds up your alley, my friends. Join. Yeah. <laughs> and if anyone wants to join more Parallel Structures, go over to michaelrectonwell.com. Um, and also in the link in the description, you can join our Discord. Uh, we have a Preppers channel. We have 
uh, memes channel. We have a channel where we don't talk about politics and you're just with like-minded people who you know aren't crazy. Um, so you can say whatever you want pretty much. So make sure you guys jump on the Discord. Um, but, Michael, thanks so much for uh, for being here. And, oh, it's my um, pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and good luck with everything. Thanks. You too now. Stay, stay strong. I'll try. It's All pretty right. hard here. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs>